Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement, and one day soon, a true proletarian revolution. But until that day comes, I am your host, Josh, and I'd like to say thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, If this is your first time popping in, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the show. Feel free to listen at the end for ways in which you can get in contact with me and let me know what you thought about the show. For those of you tuning back in, I'd like to say thank you so much. Peace to you. Hope everyone is well. Um, Today's going to be a little bit more of a kickback one. I got a few things I want to talk about off the top, and then we're going to get into a discussion, but I... um, I like to stress here for some folks who maybe are looking for more uh, strict and regimented political education that this episode probably won't be the one. I have those. You should check out with uh, Down with U.S. Empire, uh, uh, the episode I just did with Luna Oi, which was incredible. Uh, thank you so much to everybody who listened. Uh, it's one of my most listened to episodes, but... I hope that everybody enjoyed it. I hope that folks will let me know what they think. I hope you'll pass it along to friends and also introduce friends to the show, not for the sake of, you know, really getting me any listens or likes, but simply so that they can see that there's different ways that we can be getting information. There's different ways that we can be talking to one another. There's different ways that we can be building relationships. And, uh, you know, feel free to reach out because that's one thing that I try to stress on the show is that, I do want to build those relationships. I use the show as an opportunity for me to speak to some of the things that I'm learning about so that people have the opportunity to learn with me. But ultimately, I am no expert. I am absolutely not the most experienced person you're going to find. And so I really just stress that what this absolutely is for is building relationships, not coming on here and performing as if I have it right, I'm going to get it right every time, and that I'm never going to be wrong. Um, So I stress that just because I just want folks to know that this is all interpretive, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm working with the information I got, the political education I got, the information uh, that I can access through uh, the the servers that I have access to, you know what I'm saying? Um, And so, you know, if ever I misspeak or or have a poor take, I would much rather you reach out and tell me, hey, uh, that was shit, than like just stop listening to the show or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, Because I can be wrong. But anyways, now that we got that out of the way, hope everyone is well. Hope everyone is staying safe. Um, You know, shit's still going on. Um, But speaking of shit that's going on, We've been talking a lot about, you know, the conflict in the Ukraine, and we're going to get to that in a little bit, in some chunks, but I want to talk about this most recent meeting on February 28th between the 15 United Nations Security Council member states, where they had set up this meeting so as to discuss different kinds of conflicts and crises happening all over, and In this meeting, the 
United Nations Security Council, 11 of the 15 Security Council states voted in favor of labeling the Yemeni resistance movement known as the Houthis as terrorists. Now, that's the headline. So now let's get to some history breaking it down. The war in Yemen has been going on for eight years, similarly to the war in the Ukraine. It has been going on for a long time. Also similar to the ongoing war in Palestine for resistance and for, uh, uh, you know, on the other end, settler colonialism and genocide. In Yemen, the campaign is led by the U.S.-backed Saudi coalition between the uh, nations of uh, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, uh, the UAE, who have been receiving funds, food, resources, and weapons, including recently a large sale of military helicopters uh, equipped with Uh, large machine guns and uh, rocket capabilities um, against a movement led by you know resistance committees uh, 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 revolutionaries and radicals and, and just everyday people many of whom you know are going out into the battlefield with their regular clothes on, sandals, maybe a gun with a little bit of ammo, and if they're so lucky, you know, uh, homemade explosives against million-dollar fighter jets, helicopters, anti-aircraft weaponry, which is hysterical because the Houthis, as far as I know, have no aircraft. Supported, again, the Saudi coalition is supported by the U.S., a.k.a. the world's largest terrorist organization, the U.S. military. This hearing, where they... they found the Houthis to be considered terrorists, not once, not once did they speak to or condemn the war crimes committed by Saudi Arabia or the UAE. But of course they didn't. Of course they didn't. Because why would the U.S. come out here and say these folks are terrorists if they'd been supporting them? We know historically that we have to wait a year or two before they stop supporting them, before they start calling them terrorists, a.k.a. Al-Qaeda, Saddam Hussein, and plenty of others that they have supported throughout the years. In this meeting, Ireland, Norway, um, let's see, Ireland, Norway... Fuck, I wrote it down. I can't find it. There it is. Ireland, Norway, Mexico, and Brazil did not vote. They abstained from voting. Um, 
So that means that 11 of the 11 that voted, voted in favor of labeling them terrorists. Now, what this means, this is not just some condemnation that doesn't have, like, material consequences. So what this means is currently, the Houthis obviously are suffering an incredibly difficult time trying to import goods, trying to import weapons, trying to get any kind of support from outside because, you know, the Saudi coalition is so advanced militarily and technologically that they've been able to keep a lot of those things out. But currently, in Yemen, approximately 24 million people or 80% of the population requires daily international humanitarian aid. Similarly to what's happening in Afghanistan, where almost 30 million people are on the verge of starvation because the U.S. has blocked uh, their ability to access funds that they intend uh, to U.S. intends to use to give to the victims of 9/11, even though Afghan uh, people had nothing to do with 9/11, but Saudi uh, Arabia did, and so. If we look at uh, the hypocritical characterization of Saudi Arabia through the very support uh, and funding of their coalition, but also now this embargo that will be placed on the Houthis that will make it so they cannot access weapons and will make it yet again even more difficult for them to access funds, for them to access humanitarian uh, aid and... This has brutal, deadly consequences, very similarly to the sanctions that are being put on Russia right now. Uh, I was in a call with uh, some comrades from Troika Collective this Sunday for my reading circle group, uh, and Comrade Aminta, uh, who's down there in Nicaragua doing the work with the Sandinistas, spoke to the fact that these sanctions will negatively affect countries like Venezuela, Cuba and Nicaragua because since the U.S. and the European Union banks will not give loans, will not give funds, will not give support to these nations that are fighting for self-determination, Russia, China, and other nations like them that are trying to break away down a different and independent route are often the ones that are able to give aid, as the Soviet Union once did for countless generations. Well, now, with these incredible sanctions on the largest banks in uh, Russia, there had to be a, uh, I know initially it was a 20% interest increase, um, which is, I mean, imagine, imagine, I mean, anybody who has student loans, you know what 20% interest is like. Imagine you got a loan for $180, 200000000 million. 20%? that would be incredible. That'd be, let me see, that'd be $4 million, no, that'd be $40 million. That'd be $40 million on a $200 million loan. Your interest rate is $40 million. That absolutely could cripple the economy of nations who have to dedicate so much of their funds towards loan subsidizing especially in nations uh, in Africa, Asia, Latin America, and the Caribbean that are not 
fighting for self-determination, but in fact have been co-opted. Their state has been taken control of. Their economies, industries, workforces, markets, resources, and land has been taken advantage of through the neoliberal and neo-colonial imperialist uh, practices. Then that means that, you know, in nations like Bolivia, who right before Jeanine Añez left office... Uh, was removed by the the peoples of Bolivia. Um, she took out something like a two hundred and thirty million dollar loan. That now the MAS, the Movimiento al Socialismo, uh, movement towards socialism, or uh, the Luis Arce administration now has to deal with. Now we must say thank you so much to. Luis Arce, his administration, Evo Morales, and everything that they have done for not only the people of Bolivia, but through things like the Cochabamba Accords, have done incredible things for the people uh, of the world and for Pachamama, for Mother Earth. Um, Luis Arce was the lead uh, economist for most of the 14 years that Evo was in office from 2000 and. Uh, six forward, 2005 forward, um, where he took the poverty level of Bolivia, cut it in half, developed all these different social programs, cultural programs, agricultural programs that gave the indigenous people of Bolivia, who are a incredible majority of the population, Evo Morales himself included, as well as the just general working and exploited people of Bolivia an opportunity to live to live in a way that Palestinian people uh, uh, Palestinian people Afghani or Afghan people Yemeni people um, and plenty of others across the world have not been granted because of the US's continued funding of massive genocidal campaigns by uh, reactionary and repressive ruling class governments. So, we have to ask ourselves here, how? How? Because this is the United Nations, United Nations Security Council. And most of the states that are in the UN, many of them are in NATO. NATO is funded mostly by the United States. And so because of this, we have to understand that these continued encroachments by, uh, you know, repressive states like Israel, like Saudi Arabia, like the UAE, um, and like plenty of others... We have to not only just condemn this, but we have to organize against it. For those of you who tuned into the episode before the one I did with Luna Oi, I asked that everybody read Socialism in War by Lenin, written in 1915. We have to understand that war, conflict, And even a quote-unquote democratic peace under a capitalist and imperialist world uh, system 
can only mean peace for the ruling class, which is the only class that continuously sees peace. Because when the war stops in uh, Ukraine, when the war stops in Yemen, when the war stops in Palestine, it's the people who will suffer from not having hospitals. It's the people who will die of starvation. When peace is met between empire such as the United States and nations such as the indigenous nations of Turtle Island, when peace is reached between them, it is only peace for the oppressors. We know this because today indigenous people die are thrown in prison like Leonard Peltier and suffer every single day. Every single day. And we know that this is true because the supposed peace that has been brokered between the U.S. Empire and the Taliban has led to $7.7 billion in Afghan funds being appropriated by the empire, by the U.S. empire, not by the Taliban, which, again, we are not any fans of the Taliban here on In Defense of Liberation, but the clear reality is the Taliban are in position to administer humanitarian aid, and the United States empire will not allow it to happen, and the people need that aid. So if it's going to get to them one way or another, it's going to have to go through whoever has control of the mediums to get it there. But if the U.S. empire is unwilling, if NATO, the European Union, and the United Nations are unwilling to support the Houthis, if these nations are unwilling to lift the incredible sanctions on nations like Iran, like uh, Cuba, like Nicaragua and Venezuela and Bolivia, and the secondary sanctions that are put against nations that try to help. Then these nations will suffer. These people will die. And we will live in the nation, in the empire, in the belly of the beast, of the imperialist, you know, state that allowed these crimes against humanity to be committed or committed them themselves. The daily genocidal actions by police, military, and others against black, brown, and indigenous people on this land and also across the world is daily, as I mentioned before. The repression, the suppression, the exploitation that the people of Turtle Island, who are not white, who are not men, have to endure is beyond belief. But yet, unfortunately, it truly is not beyond imagination. Because as we talked about with Luna Oi, as we talked about uh, in previous episodes discussing what's going on in the Ukraine, historically, the United States 
has continuously committed acts of genocide, crimes against humanity, all across this earth. There is not a corner, there is not a partition of land that the U.S. Empire has not somehow, in some way, repressed, whether through guns, bombs, militaries, economic sanctions, puppet governments, or other, the U.S. Empire is the largest, most deadly terrorist organization that has ever come to bear. The British East India Company that committed genocide through mass starvation in India, that committed incredible acts of terror throughout Africa and other European nations. The Belgian, the German, the French, the Italian, the Portuguese, the Spanish empires that have existed, colonized, imperialized, and destroyed lands and peoples all over the world do not have a breath to breathe against the U.S. empire. This is not, however, me taking an accidental and unconscious American exceptionalist approach. This is the reality of capitalism imperialism, the nature of a system that intends to continuously concentrate and siphon wealth, power, weapons, and control into the hands of fewer and fewer who then, by caveat, become that much wealthier, that much more powerful, that much more in control than any other nation, any other people, any other empire that has come before them. The fascism that exists here on Turtle Island has captured in full the media, the education, the state, the government apparatuses, the courts, the legal system, the workplace. It has fully uh, engulfed itself and co-opted in the economy, the industry. It has completely taken hold of production, distribution, agriculture. It has completely destroyed people's ability to live and exist and labor for themselves, for their own benefit and for the benefit of those around them. It has completely cast aside any and all aspersions about uh, communalism, about distribution of wealth in different forms, of socialism. It has completely tossed aside the idea that people can live as one together from different nationalities, from different ethnic backgrounds, of different religions, of different skin colors, and they have done everything in their power, the U.S. Empire and others across the world, to use race, gender, sexuality, and especially class to divide and conquer the masses of people across the world. We know this is happening today even within the U.S. empire. In one way, for example, that I find important 
And I think that we need to get a move on about because this is historically one of the uh, very crucial parts of a fascist uh, dictatorship is control of the reproductive rights of the people within the nation, as we see in uh, countries like Poland, as we saw historically in nations like Italy, Spain, Germany, and others under their fascist dictatorships during their time. Um, And now today, under supposed democracy, we see that the Women's Health Protection Act, as it was called, HB 3755, which was put to a vote in the Senate by New York Senator Chuck Schumer, um, to a vote would have given uh, abortion rights to every uh, person capable of giving birth in this country as a legal right. However, Unfortunately, it was voted down in a vote of 48 to 46. Now, I don't know if I'm correct, but I'm pretty sure that there's some people missing that might not have voted. I could be wrong. But what this clearly shows is that, in my opinion, and now this is all conjecture, this is all, uh, you know... I can't prove any of this, I'll say. I believe that senators like Chuck Schumer, who have done absolutely nothing for women in New York, have done absolutely nothing for prisoners in New York, have done absolutely nothing for poor, exploited, and oppressed people in New York, to put up a bill like this at a time when abortion is such a heavy and mainstream conversation as it always has been and always will be, but right now is so heavily heated because of abortion bans that are being passed in East uh, European nations. And then on the flip side of that, abortion uh, rights bills that are being passed in nations like Mexico, um, uh, uh, Colombia, and elsewhere, This shows an attempt, in my opinion, by Democrats like Chuck Schumer to pretend as if they give a single fuck about women's rights, about birthing rights, about abortion rights, about human rights. Because here's the thing. This bill barely passed the House. Barely. According to People's Dispatch. They use the word narrowly, but we all know. So it barely passes the House of Representatives. And then randomly, under, you know pressure by organizations, um, but still, randomly, it's put up to a vote in the Senate with no mass, you know, education about it, with no real support for organizations that are doing outreach about it, and really, no chance to pass. I mean, we have representatives in the Senate that are just absolute ghouls for capitalism, imperialism, and now, since we are making our way into the age of, you know, in my opinion, fascist dictatorship, as we have for 50 plus years been making our way into, we see that yet another way for the state to have control is to require that every person that can and will give birth does. Now, I know this seems futile. I know this seems stupid because 
oh, well, how is the state going to pay for these people? The state doesn't actually want this many people. The state doesn't pay for the 380 million people that are alive right now in the United States. Why the fuck would they start paying for these people? They want laborers and they want taxpayers. They want soldiers and they want drone operators. They want health care workers but not to have to pay them, so to have enough healthcare workers that they can keep the minimum wage down so that if anybody gets to striking, they can fire them and they got millions of more people that they can hire at the wage they were already paying. They got these foster homes. Now, I'm, I'm gonna speak to this real quick because I got experience with this. Um, I was a foster kid when I was real young, so I don't remember most of it. But through the stories that my mom and my sisters and my, my brothers have told me, it was absolutely atrocious. The state fucking takes these kids, right? They do it to black, brown, and indigenous people. Uh, they do it in residential schools. They steal these fucking kids, dude. And they throw them in these goddamn schools and these orphanages and these foster homes. And they give them this fucking idea that, like, that's a blessing, that someone's saving them. And they feed them full of this propaganda that, like, you know, this is for the best. And, you know, this is what a democracy does. This is what a good country does, is it it supports its children. Like, it'll put on this front that because it gives foster kids like blue cross blue shield and like gives them some protections in 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 that way that it does anything or because you can get some scholarships like when you go to college and shit but i'll tell you what the fucking trauma the abuse and the fucking deep-seated propaganda that every single kid and family that I know that's had to endure the foster care or adoption system has completely rotted the brains of so many. And so much of it is tied to either Christianity or Catholicism, just like fucking colonization. So in understanding this, then we can look at the fact that 80% 80% of Americans surveyed believe that people should have abortion rights as a human right. That percentage, that survey that's been given out has not dipped below 79% since 1975. And yet Roe v. Wade has been the only real precedent to stand for abortion rights in this country and they're trying to take it down all over this country and the supreme court probably will do it which is terrifying and this is my point earlier that chuck schumer putting this bill up right now in a government like biden under nancy pelosi under you know with ted cruz and other senators like him in this uh, place where, you know, the vote was had, but yet these other types of representatives serving as a real uh, idea of where the country is at, how the fuck did he think that shit was going to pass? And I know we got to put it up because it's like if we put it in front of people and we actually try to pass it, there's a likelihood that A, we'll be able to see how many people support it and then we can go out and start doing outreach and start building organizations that's how I think we should take this. But the thing that we shouldn't do is think that just trying to pass legislation is outreach or organization. So I, I was talking with uh, you know folks 
the other day about, um, you know, the disgustingly repressive anti-trans bills that have been passed. And this is yet another form of how fascism encaptures the, uh, you know, religious, cultural, national, and uh, educational uh, development of of a state. It completely creates this mystic idea of a uh, 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 stable, you know, um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, nuclear family. There you are. It creates this idea of, you know, a man, a wife, a, a son and daughter and a little doggy right there in the front lawn with the green grass and the white fence and the, and the Cadillac and the fucking driveway, right? We all think 1950s, 1960s when we think American Dream, right? Or is that just because my folks are all super fucking old? Anyways, that's not on accident. If we look historically, and I'm going to talk to this more uh, if I can in in a full-length episode, but if we look historically at the development of patriarchy in uh, human society... It was not on accident. It was not disconnected from economic and uh, sociocultural as well as political um, um, rights and power. It was not disconnected from those as a base. It was not an accident. It was not because men were just stronger. It was not because biology took over. We switched from matriarchal, communal, uh, redistributive societies for thousands of years to patriarchal, rigid uh, um, class societies at a particular point in human history, at a particular development, for particular and concrete reasons. Um, Please read The Origin of the Family, Private Property, and the State by Frederick Engels and many others who since then have taken his work and maybe taken some of the ideas of this uh, civilized versus, quote, uncivilized cultures out of there. But even still, irregardless of the, the ignorance that many Europeans had at the time of, uh, you know, non-European society, uh, his analysis of the historical development of patriarchy, the historical development of the family, of the state, and of private property out of the, uh, you know, indigenous ancient cultures, uh, it, it clearly shows a true materialist analysis of the reasons as to why uh, this type of class society, this patriarchy, was developed. Comrade Bridget uh, and others over at the Probably Cancelled podcast can speak very well to this also, so please check them out. So in Engel's book, right, he gives an analysis of, first, what we might consider ancient and, you know, uh, indigenous cultures throughout history. He gives us a picture of communalistic societies where mother right or matriarchy was the predominating form of uh, kinship, of culture, of uh, community, but also of governance, of authority, of power, and of, you know, uh, control. It was the masses of people in nations all across North and South America, all across Asia, and all across Africa, together, who were able to survive for thousands of years amongst, you know, megafauna and uh, 
all the different weather conditions throughout different periods of, you know, mass extinction. And the only way that they could have, you know, as many, many different accounts proved, the only way that they could have survived in this way would have been by working together. That just makes sense, right? If you had, at a period of time, a society that was almost, actually, can't even say almost, that was entirely agricultural, entirely, and yet not everybody, you know, participated in that practice, not everybody uh, was uh, an agricultural worker themselves, then it must be that those who did farm, those who did grow crop, those who did uh, do agricultural work would have had to share that with those who did other duties, who served other roles in society. Otherwise, where would they have gotten food from? And how would they have redistributed it if they weren't already living in community with one another? And at this time, the way in which they did live together, again, was vastly different than the way in which we see ourselves living together today. Even if we consider the way in which these societies warred with one another. Because I think we get this fantastical notion that, uh, you know, indigenous uh, nations and ancient cultures didn't war with one another. How do you think the Incan Empire, the Mayan Empire, and I know these are misnomers because they're colloquial terms as, you know, presented by colonizers and, and people who came to these nations but didn't understand these cultures. But equally still, the Incan, Mayan, and other people who, again, that's not their correct names. I apologize for not knowing their correct names. But these folks did not just have these massive, you know, uh, groupings of, of cultures that had trade routes all up and down the North American and South American land masses throughout the Caribbean all the way down to, you know, Chile, all, all the way down to the bottom of, of South America and all the way up to Alaska without living in a way that was somehow more connected, more communal than the one we're living today, obviously. And they couldn't have done that through, you know, small uh, village living and stuff like that. They couldn't have lived in this way without having a massive base on a massive basis of their like life based on community but anyways if we look at these societies right they still warred with one another but the way in which they warred with one another is crazily different i mean for one just pretty uh, often cited example uh, Taino people 
throughout uh, Haiti and what, well, what we now call Haiti in the Dominican Republic, they occasionally, uh, history, uh, historical um, notes have documented that they sometimes warred with wooden swords and spears so as not to actually kill, but simply injure each other. And even in that way, not really to, 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 to harm someone, but to just simply say, like, you're it, you're down, basically. And I'm sure there's more to it. But also, if you look historically at the indigenous nations of North America, the way in which that they had conflicts oftentimes did not lead to, you know, consolidated occupation and oppression for countless years exploitation and oppression of the entire masses. I mean, the U.S. empire, as we know it today, was based on a few things. Those few things being the mass enslavement and transatlantic slave trade of African peoples into the Caribbean, North America, and South America. The genocide and brutal uh, oppression of indigenous people, the mass exploitation through sex trafficking of indigenous and African women, as well as the enslavement through forced labor, serfdom, and other forms of, you know, uh, exploitative forced labor I know that's repetitive sorry I, I didn't have another word in order to enrich these empires the US empire off of the backs of under or unpaid laborers who in effect whether you know property or quote, prisoners ha have been historically and continue to be enslaved today. It's very clear, very clear, that the system that exists today is yet another continuation of not only class society, but slave society. We see all throughout Asia, Latin America, and the Caribbean, Africa, and even here in our private and other prisons, forced labor on a scale that really couldn't have been seen in any other historical epoch before the productive capacities as well as the productive tools had developed to a certain stage as they have today. How could the mass enslavement of billions of people happen before many of these people even had any contact with one another? You see what I'm saying? Now that the world has been fully globalized, it's also been fully enslaved by capitalism and imperialism. Now, this is terrifying, right? This is, this is like, 
shit, fuck, that's a lot. But after listening to so many incredible podcasts throughout the last month, um, from different incredible uh, content creators, organizations, political prisoners, um, uh, revolutionaries around the world, Black liberation, liberation of African and Black peoples across the world is a reality that's coming true in a way that quote-unquote Black History Month does not celebrate. Yet this reality is coming to the fore today in many African Latin American, Caribbean, and North American nations across the world. Also, throughout many of these regions as well, we are seeing resistance and liberation movements by all kinds of exploited and oppressed people from all walks of life, who are calling for many different things from democratic socialism to revolutionary and violent socialist movements, but all of whom are condemning and calling out for an end to the capitalist and imperialist system as it exists today, granted. Not all of them are calling for its deathbed. Many, if not all, are calling for something new, though. And we, the people, get to decide what that something new is. We, the people, also get to be the vanguard. We get to be the ones out in the streets fighting for it. We get to be the ones educating people about the different things that are going on not only here on our, you know, uh, the lands that we currently are occupying as, uh, you know, colonizers still here on Turtle Island, but also the ways in which we as, uh, you know, the nation that we are currently living in are going around the world and doing the same to others. From that point forward, education in and of itself cannot be enough. We also need organization. But what does organization in a world so engulfed by capitalism and imperialism look like? Many people are fearful that we have waited too long, that we will not be able to have this revolution. But if you read the writings and the speeches and you listen to the discussions and watch the movements that are happening all over the world. You know that can't be the case. You know that a new world is being born. Daniel Ortega at his inauguration took plenty of time to speak to the different delegations that came from all over the world to show their support for the Sandinista revolution. And in that, he spoke to the fact that 20, 30, 40 years ago, when the revolution had recently consolidated itself, when the uh, Chamorro uh, regime took over and introduced neoliberalism, 
when the U.S. first began its hybrid war campaign, when Daniel Ortega was reelected against the Sandinista revolution, he said many of these delegates would not have come to Nicaragua, would not have known of Nicaragua. The homies over at Troika and Friends of the ATC, each of them almost have all pointed out the fact that they believe that if asked, most if not all Americans would be incapable of pointing to Nicaragua, Cuba, Venezuela, Vietnam, you know, North Korea on a map. And yet they go on social media, you see it with Ukraine right now, and talk like they know everything about it. But the reality is quite different, my friends, and the reality is this. The masses of people, who they themselves are the ones suffering and enduring these uh, oppressive and exploitative regimes all across the world, are also the ones who are leading the charge against these oppressive regimes. And not only against these oppressive regimes, but for socialist and other, you know, ways of life. I will admit, not every um, self-determination struggle, not every uh, sovereign state is, uh, shall we say, of the same stripes. But equally still, the important fact of the matter is, If the masses of people are given a clear understanding of the ways in which they are exploited and oppressed under capitalism and imperialism, nothing can and nothing will stop them ever from freeing themselves from this oppressive system. Exploited and oppressed people have been fighting for liberation for 500 years. And to some, that might sound depressing. But to others, that sounds inspiring, because what that sounds like to me is 500 plus years of experience, of knowledge, of history, of examples to learn from and incorporate in our own struggles, in our own lands, and in our own movements. We need not always look like this or that revolution. We need not always sound or you know, organize ourselves like the Russians or like the Cubans or like the Chinese or like the Vietnamese or like the North Koreans or like anyone else necessarily like a one-to-one ratio. But what we do need is to look to these revolutions, to these organizations and, and these mass movements that have been able to overthrow in different ways or push back the oppressive and exploitative regimes that exist all over the world, and we must apply their knowledge in ways that it is applicable in our own situations and circumstances. Otherwise, we allow for revolutions not only to take place and be cut off from the rest of the world, isolated, embargoed, and sanctioned to shit, but we also refuse to allow for the people of Turtle Island in the world to see a different day, to see a socialist society. 
So as I was driving, I got a notification that said Russia is intensifying actions in Ukrainian cities. Now, we've spoke about the sovereign states of the Luhansk and Donsk regions. Um, we've spoke about Crimea briefly. We spoke about the eight plus years of war committed by uh, groups like the Azov Battalion, which is an explicitly neo-Nazi and fascist organization that uh, finds its inspiration in uh, what they call the Bandera Movement, which if you don't know anything about that, please do your research before you start putting a red and black flag or a Ukrainian flag in your bio, you fucking dweebs. Um, don't, you know, make that post if you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Don't share that shit if you didn't actually read it. Um, and do any cross, you know, checking on any of that information. Just, uh, you know, recognize that you're a person who's thousands, if not hundreds, or hundreds, if not thousands of miles away from the actual conflict. And until you actually allow for the uh, information to permeate your thick skull and actually take a moment to step back and learn a thing or two, you're probably going to continuously have incorrect takes and analysis as I and others have had previously about many other different, uh, you know, conflicts and crises that have happened all across the world. I told one of my friends, I didn't think Russia would go to war, that I didn't think the U.S. really, really. Uh, I didn't say that they didn't have it in them, but I didn't think that it was the most opportune time. But then I realized, you know, as we've continued to watch this conflict grow, that it's the perfect time because now what it's doing is it's completely distracting from the war crimes that the U.S. is committing all over the world, the fracking uh, bills that they're signing in the land that they're giving away, the pipelines that they're building, such as Line 5 and Line 3, the, uh, you know, repressive and reactionary laws that are being passed to restrict the birthing and uh, human rights of those who give birth. Um, the continued uh, enslavement, exploitation, and oppression of black, brown, and indigenous people along the border in the private prisons and the schools and the foster care systems that the state operates and maintains uh, hegemony over. Uh, but it is clear that, you know, this is the reality of the U.S. will take any and all opportunity to pump the war machine, right? So we need a mass movement. We need people out in the streets. We need folks handing out masks. We need folks handing out sandwiches. We need folks training on weapons. We need folks learning how to organize their workplaces. We need people developing community gardens and community mutual aid networks. We need folks building unions. We need folks building tenant unions. We need folks building Soviets and revolutionary committees and reading circles and community groups and uh, self-defense uh, committees. We need everything and we need it now. And the only way that we're going to get it is by building it ourselves. So, folks, with this uh, being my last word, I will say long live revolution, long live socialism. We must denounce NATO. We must denounce imperialist war of all kind. We must denounce the oppression and exploitation of peoples in Palestine, in uh, Lebanon, in Jordan, in Iran, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Syria. We must denounce the oppression of people in Yemen. We must denounce the oppression of people all across the Caribbean, Latin American, African, and Asian continents. And we must also denounce the incredible forms of oppression, of violence, and of brutality that are happening against our comrades here and people 
uh, on uh, Turtle Island everywhere. Um, so folks, please go organize, go learn, go get connected, and let's start building this movement today. Long live scientific socialism, long live the people, and long live the people's movement. We'll see you next time. Peace. <laughs>